Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. I deserve to go to hell. Don't laugh. I proved it this week again. Now you may say, oh no, what's our pastor up to? No, 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 it's just that I did not live every moment, every day as though the God was my all in all. There are times I made my selfish choices. There are times I made an easy choice. There are times I didn't focus on the things I had to focus. All of it shows that if God left me to myself, I would wander away and be gone forever. And I wouldn't worship him as he ought to be worshipped. I wouldn't yield my life to him as I ought to yield to him. I wouldn't grow to be like him. I wouldn't be telling him. I'd be out to do my own thing. And because of that, that from moment of conception, tendency to rebel against God, I deserve to go to hell. Now, that's a big, heavy thing for us to think about. I don't answer me, but do you deserve to go to hell today? Is that what you deserve? It means, I think to some extent, to whatever extent you find yourself feeling like, well, yeah, I do bad things, but I don't know if I deserve to go to hell or not. It, it reveals that you, you don't have that full understanding of, of who God is and what he's really like. And, and I wouldn't mind if you give me those lights back up. It helps me. Okay, thank you. And so we need to understand, because really an understanding of hell is one of those big chunks of things that we need to understand if we're going to see the world the way it really is. If we're going to see things the way God has made them to be. Now, in our culture, if if hell comes up and they're going to portray hell, how do they portray hell? You know, typically it's a place, there's little fires coming up out of the ground and somebody's down there having a really hard time, you know. You know they, they make a Republican sit down there and listen to a Democrat. Uh, and the devil stands over there with a pitchfork, right, and occasionally reaches out and pokes people with it. And don't you know that, that the devil is thrilled about that? Because it trivializes Hell and makes us be able to think of hell without just being troubled. I remember when hell became real to me, and it's, it's, it's part of this story of, of how I came to Christ. The night I came to Christ, it was the, the end of a week-long uh, services that the church was having, and uh, they, they preached different things, challenging Christians, preaching revival, preaching the gospel. I was not yet saved. I was kind of confused about it, wasn't sure. And, and God was really working in my life there at that point. And, and Friday night, the guy preached on hell. And he preached for an hour on hell. And this was not Walt Graham, New England style preaching. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? It was hell! And he went through the Bible, verse after verse after verse after verse. And to be honest with you, it didn't move me much. I'm not sure why, but I tell you this, that night I trusted Christ as Savior. Afterwards, I, I finally just said, okay, God, I know I'm not saved, and, and I got saved, trusted Christ as Savior. Everything changed. 
After I got saved and I thought about hell, all of a sudden it terrified me. I think because maybe the Spirit of God, you know, where I was at, when I really started to understand hell, it terrified me. And I was so grateful I wasn't going. But the whole idea of hell is just, it is horrific. It is, folks. There's no way to get around it. It's, as I pray and think about what I should preach about, and then a number of months back, it came to mind, you need to preach on hell. And I'm okay. Really? I mean, I will talk about hell. I will mention hell when we share the gospel. I, I'm not afraid to do that, but it, it can just be a heavy subject, folks. I mean, I even thought, and, and you'll see, but, you know, normally I like to have different pictures up there and all this kind of stuff, but how do you do that when you're talking about hell? I mean, it's just not a light conversation. Very important one. Very important that we understand, but not a light one. So what, what comes to mind when you think of hell, and how do you feel about hell, and how do you feel about your own relationship with respect to hell, and, and the people that you know? Well, we only have one place to go for our answers, right? And we have to go here. So let's do this today. We're going to get ready to open our Bible. Before we do, I want to tell you, the words that are used that are translated hell or have been translated hell, sometimes in the newer translations, even the one that we use, they've tried to do a little uh, tighter job of translating the word. And the first of those words is used primarily, in, it's used in the Old Testament, and it is the word that is used throughout the Old Testament, for, and that is Sheol. And it's the place of the dead, okay? It's the place of the dead, and it included the place of the dead who were wicked, and had, you know, rebelled against God and never humbled themselves before him. And it included those who were righteous, who had humbled themselves before him, who had placed their faith in, in God uh, to, to save them. And included both of them, those ideas. It was a place where when you were, in fact, the word comes from two words put together. And it really means not to see or not to know. And the idea is you've left this earth and so you no longer see and you no longer know. You're in the place of the dead. We get to the New Testament, and there's really two primary words that are used, but there are three words that are used here. And the first one is Hades, uh, and you've probably heard of that. This is very similar to the Old Testament idea of Sheol, okay? The place of the dead includes both the uh, wicked dead and the righteous dead. Uh, the, the righteous, those who've placed their faith in, in God, saved by grace, uh, go to a play, went to a place called Paradise, Remember Jesus on the cross, hangs on the cross and tells the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. This was in Hades, okay? It was a place of the dead. Jesus had not risen from the dead yet. Death had not been conquered yet. And so they were in the place of the dead, but they placed the righteous dead. It's very much like we would think of heaven. And of course, the other, other part is a place of torment. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus ascended to his father, actually, let me go back. He, he died, and we, you know, next week's Palm Sunday, right? And we'll focus some on the death of Christ and then his resurrection on Easter. When Jesus died, he went to the place of the dead, to paradise, uh, as referred in a parable or depending on how you look at it, a true story later, Abraham's bosom. And it tells us there that he spoke to the people there, and I think he filled them in on everything, how he had fulfilled 
all the promises of God and what was going to happen next. And then it says, he led those who had been captive, captive with him to heaven. That's victorious over sin and death, right? Good thing? Yeah, okay. And so he did that. So now when the righteous die, those who have trusted Christ as Savior die, they go to heaven to be with the Lord in his presence, okay? So that part of Hades, we could say, is empty now, but the other part where the unsaved are is still very real, still very much a place of torment. They will be brought up out of Hades for the great white throne judgment, where it will be determined once and for all that they are lost forever in the lake of fire. Then the, the other word, and this is by far the, probably the most pre- predominant word for hell, and when we think about what hell is, this is the Greek word that's used for it. It's Gehenna. It actually came from Hebrew words transliterated into Greek, but Gehenna. And this is, is uh, uh, considered to be a place of everlasting punishment. Place of everlasting punishment. And it came from a word that referred to the valley outside Jerusalem, the valley of Hinnom. Okay, so Gehenna is what it came to be known as. It was a place that in, in Israel's history where the false god, false worship, the god of Molech had been worshipped. And how they worshipped Molech was through child sacrifice. Okay, they had, uh, they, they had this huge statue of him, a metal statue, and it was hollow on the inside. And it was standing with his arms like this. And they would build a fire within it until it just glowed red, almost white hot. And then they would take the children and lay them on those white hot arms in sacrifice to this God. The Jews had a huge disdain for this area because of that, because of that memory. And so much so that it had become a place where they buried criminals. Okay? Someone would be killed as a criminal. They would bury them there. And, and it was also a place where they began to throw their, their garbage, their sewage. And they would burn the sewage there. And they used sulfur to ignite those fires and to keep those fires burning. So that was a place that they could see all the time was smoldering and sometimes flames. But it was always smoldering and you could always smell the sulfur. And this is where we get this imagery of fire and brimstone. And that is the word that they then started using to describe everlasting punishment. It's a word that Jesus used fairly often. And so this is really the word when we think of hell that's most often used. The other word is Tartarus. And this refers to a place where, where God has placed some of the demons and, and I believe it's probably the same as the bottomless pit described in Revelation where he's going to change Satan and the demons at a future point in time. So let's look in the Bible now to see how it is described. Jesus, I said, had a lot to say about hell. We'll just look at a few of those today and as much of the rest of Scripture does. Let's start in the book of Psalms, page 621 in the Bible that's in the pew. We'd really encourage you to follow along with us today to see what God says in his word about these things. Page 621, chapter 9, verse 17. He says, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that 
forget God. So those who are in rebellion against God and who die in that condition end up in hell. Turn over to chapter 86, page 679. Psalm 86 and verse number 13. This is the testimony of a righteous man thanking God that he's not going to hell. Verse 13, he says, For great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol, the depths of hell. And so we have in this mindset that, yes, there's a place of the dead, but the wicked, when you're unsaved, when you haven't you know, trusted God to save you, go to the depths of it, to the depths. Well, he's saved from the depths of that. Would not go there. So the wicked go to hell, the unsaved, those who have not humbled themselves before God and trusted him by faith, and God delivers those who do turn to him, and he saves them from hell. By the way, that's, when we use the word saved, do you understand this is primarily what it refers to? I mean, yes, we are saved from the controlling power of sin. Yes, we are saved from many of the the damages of sin in our life because we learn to live righteously. We're saved from a lot of things. But primarily, and the biggest thing is that we are saved from is hell. So we talk about being saved. That's what we really mean at the root of it. God has saved us from what we rightly deserve, which is an eternity in hell. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 10. Page 1122. In the Pew Bible, Matthew chapter 10. This is Jesus talking here, and he uses the word Gehenna. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. And really, he's he's warning people here. You know, people were afraid of what the religious leaders thought, they were afraid of what other people thought about what they believed. And he's challenging them that they need not to fear other people, they need to fear God. In verse number 28, he says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, in Gehenna. And so this picture would come from their mind is this place that's smoldering, fire, sulfur, garbage, wickedness. That's what would come to mind, the people who heard him say that. Now, You might say destroyed. Oh, they're going to be destroyed, burned up, gone forever. Well, the word destroyed and destruction does not always mean gone out of existence. Destruction here means it's not about going out of existence, but about traumatic devastation. Just traumatic, devastated. It's like this. The message is, this is not what you were originally made for, but it is what you have come to. Your life is destroyed. That's the idea here. Turn over to chapter 13, page 1127. Chapter 13, and let's start in verse 41. Excuse me. He's been telling some parables of the kingdom. He talks to us about those who will be cast out of the kingdom, those who do not yield themselves to God. Verse 41, the Son of Man, this is Jesus talking, talking about himself, that he called himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. So all of those who are still in rebellion against God who have not yielded themselves to him, trusted him, 
and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Wailing. You think of wailing, that is, comes from deep in the soul, doesn't it? Wailing. Gnashing of teeth is kind of like this, ah, ah. And so we're looking here, there's not only this, this sense of physical torment, but there's a psychological torment, terrible psychological torment. Maybe something like this, it might be this realization that here I am, and I've blown it. I've blown it, I blew it. And not a thing you can do. And I can't help but wonder if there wouldn't be this thing of, why didn't he tell me? Why didn't she tell me? You know, and the sense of, what was I to them? Of no value. Psychological torment in hell. Turn over to chapter 18. Page 1133. Let's start in verse 1. I'm going to set the context for these verses. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called the little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So the context here, <clears throat> excuse me, is um, this yielding to God, humbling yourself before him, and like a child, trust, trusting your heavenly Father. Now let's go down to verse 8. In this context, he talks about warning about offending those who are, are small and helpless. In verse 8, he says this, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Now, very important that you understand something here. He's not talking about you have to stop sinning in order to be saved. If that's the case, we're all in trouble, right? Let's just go eat lunch. Okay, I mean, really. It's not even the context of salvation. You, give, you have to become like a little child. Humble yourself before God and trust him. That's how you get saved. What he's talking about down now uh, here is just, what is worth allowing in your life if it's going to keep you from coming to Christ? Now, I've heard people say before, well, if I came to Christ, then I would have to. Or if I came to Christ, then I would have to stop. Right? They think those things. And Jesus is saying here, there's nothing worth hanging on to if you're going to hell over it. Anything you would give up to be saved would be worth it. All right? He's trying to tell us how bad hell is, isn't he? That's the point. You need to humble yourself before God. You need to trust him like a little child would trust his father. And don't let anything get in the way then and, and keep you from, trust, from doing that. 
Nothing in this life is worth going to hell for, people. You know, it's possible that there are some of you here today who haven't ever trusted Christ as Savior. And I just want to say, whatever's holding you back, there's nothing in this life worth going to hell over. Turn over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, page 1200 in the Pew Bible. Luke, chapter 12. We have a parable here about the experience of unbelievers at the judgment. So it is a parable, and the Lord's trying to teach them something specific, but in this he gives us also a picture of unbelievers as they face judgment. Luke 12, starting in verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. In other words, this, this guy doesn't have a really a relationship with his master. He's still in rebellion against him. Verse 46, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes, but he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to him to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. And we see here then that there are degrees of suffering in hell. There are degrees. But now, I want you to be careful. Because you're thinking, you say, oh, good. Won't be so bad. There's, there's lesser punishment. That's not the point. The point is, is that there is worse punishment for some. It is hell for all. You see that? It's hell for all. But the person who knew, and this is like, <clears throat> this is like uh, people, and, and I pray that someday this, this guy gets saved, Bart Ehrman. You may have heard him. He, you know, he, he goes around speaking. He's written books. He attacks the Scriptures, tries to undermine the faith of Christians, grew up in a Christian home, knew the gospel, understood it, and has chosen to do this. I pray he gets saved. But if he doesn't, do you understand what awaits him? Worse. It's hell for all who are there, and it's worse for some. Go to chapter 16, a couple pages over. Now, you know, I hear preachers talk about this, and this is the story of the rich man and, and Lazarus and and uh, they'll say, well, this isn't a parable because there's an actual name used, and that may be, uh, but there's a lot of things in here that still come across as a parable. So I would say to you, it doesn't matter whether this is a parable or a literal story because it's literally true either way. Are you with me on that? As it's telling us something very true. So uh, follow along here as I read, starting in verse 19. 
There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now, that's, like I said, that's the idea of paradise, okay? And uh, so it's the place of the righteous dead. Apparently, he, by faith, had trusted God. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torments in Hades, so the rich man apparently had not humbled himself before God, had not trusted God to save him, finds himself in the torment part of Hades, what we would normally call hell. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, you received in your, you, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. And let's just stop there. I want you to see. The unsaved die, and it is torment, a place of torment, what we would call hell. Okay? And let me just deal with this right now rather than try to worry about remembering later. It says he's tormented in the flames. Talks about it there. Over in the book of Revelation, we'll see the lake of fire. And the question that gets asked, well, is, is that real fire or is it symbolic? I want to tell you it doesn't matter. Here's why. Because when you go searching for words to describe something, and you say, well, if it's literally fire, is that terrible? Burning? and never stopping being burned. Is that terrible? That's horrible. Hard to even fathom, okay? That's if it's literal. And if it's not literal, you know why? Because they couldn't really find words to describe how bad it is. You understand? So it's a place of torment, bad torment. And the second thing is, is there's no getting out. You see that, right? There's a gulf fix that you can't cross over. Once you're in this place, you are in this place. It is your eternal destiny. And so he continues, verse 27, Then he, the rich man, said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you, you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They have the word of God. Listen to the word of God. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. A couple of things to understand here. One is this. Everyone in hell doesn't want their loved ones to go there. There's an awareness, please, I don't want the people I know to come here. All right? And secondly, when you're thinking about someone and you say, oh, if God would just work a miracle, then they would believe. Or if Jesus would just come back again and talk to us, then they would believe. No, they wouldn't. Because if they won't believe the word of God as the Holy Spirit speaks it to them, they wouldn't believe the miracle. That's what he says, isn't it? But understand, so hell is a place of conscious torment, a conscious awareness and a desire for loved ones to get saved. But there's nothing you can do about it, which would be part of the anguish as well.
knowing that they are headed right where you are. Turn over to the book of Revelation, chapter 14. Hang in there with me today. Revelation 14 is talking about, again, things that are coming, things in eternity here. We'll start in verse number 9. It says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and received his mark on his forehead or on his hand, and so you just know today we're not going to be talking about the mark of the beast and all that stuff, what it is. That's not what we're looking at this passage for. That's there, and it's something worth understanding, but we aren't focusing on that today. But this is someone who turns and and goes with Satan, in other words. Verse 10, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Torment, eternal torment. And it's a, a sin against an infinitely holy God requires Ongoing punishment. You and I can never sufficiently pay the penalty for our sins. We can never pay it enough. If you could, you might get out someday, right? But you can't. You, your sins are so offensive to a holy God that it can never be sufficiently paid. Only Christ's payment was sufficient. And here's the good news. Christ's payment was sufficient. It is sufficient. Good news. But eternal torment is required. Go to chapter 20. The last verse that we'll look at here. Then I saw a great white throne. Verse 11. I saw a great white throne. And him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the book. So, so at this judgment, everybody who stands in this judgment, there is somehow or way or another, there's a record of everything in your life. Everything you ever did and why you did it, everything you didn't do and why you didn't do it, it's all there. What your motives were as well as your actions, it's all there. And, and I told you that this week I, I proved again that I need to, you know, I deserve to go to hell. So what is this book going to show? The record. Okay, here it is. Again and again and again, and again, and again, and again, we're going to prove that we deserve to go to hell. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades, there, that's the holding place for those who died and are lost there, delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The book of life, your name gets in there when you trust Jesus as Savior. But that is the eternal destination of those who have not humbled themselves before God and trusted him to save them. That's hell. And we could have gone again and again looking at things and seen the emphasis of Scripture But sometimes people have objections to hell. Even Christians, you know, we struggle with hell. Anybody besides me ever struggle with the idea of hell? I mean, yeah, it's like I said, when you think it's so horrific, it's so hard. 
And, and so sometimes people have objections. And so some of the reasons are this. Well, God is a loving God. Surely he wouldn't do this to someone. Well, he is a loving God, but that's only part of how God is described, right? Yes, he's loving, merciful, and gracious, but he's also holy, righteous, and just. And he's all of those things together. And, and it is his holiness, his righteousness, his justice that provides the context for his love and grace and mercy. He showed his love and grace and mercy by sending his son to pay that penalty, that uh, infinitely offensive sin that we had committed. And he provides enough revelation in the natural world for every person to see that there is a God who can be known. He provides that so that they can respond to him and begin that process of turning to him. And so here's the thing. If we say no to God's revelation, and especially if we say no to God's provision in Christ, who are we to try to blame God and say he didn't do enough? You didn't do enough, God. What do you mean? I gave you creation that you saw every day. And for everybody sitting here today, I sent you the gospel. The truth is that God is a loving God, but people reject his love for their own selfish reasons. And God will let them go wherever their choices take them, including to hell. He lets us choose. Another objection, hell seems too harsh a penalty. Okay, there ought to be some penalty, but it seems way too harsh. Well, you know, because we are finite human beings, we have limited understanding and just a very natural understanding uh, of God and his holiness and, and how, you know, infinitely offensive our sin is to him, even though we don't really understand it, you know, sin we chose to commit. And since we don't have a, a natural understanding of those things, we must trust what the Bible says and accept God's description of these things. What other choice do we have? We either accept what God says about it or we walk away. And if we walk away, never say, I'm not gonna trust Christ as Savior, I'm not gonna, then we will reap the consequences of that choice. And you know, the moment, whether saved or unsaved, the moment your eyes close in death and open on the other side I guarantee you you won't have one question of why people would go to hell because you'll see God you'll see enough of him to know that I ought not be here but I am by his grace and those who are unsaved will say they'll, they'll know they won't be there in his presence and they will know the truth is that we deserve to be sent to hell immediately when we sin against him. That's the truth. Right? I mean, how many times do you have to sin to be lost? We're born dead to God, and then we prove it with our sin. How, how much do you need to do that to be lost? We, God could very rightly say, okay, boom, to hell. And he hasn't. He's been so gracious to us. The old King James called it the long-suffering toward us. Extremely patient. He gives us a lifetime, however long that is. He gives us a lifetime to repent and turn to him. Do you know that even having an opportunity to be saved is way more than we deserve? So it's not too harsh. 
Another objection, I just don't like the idea of hell. It's too horrific to even think about. It is horrific, okay? It is. There's no way around it. The Bible says, though, we do need to think about it. It's part of a biblical understanding of the way things really are, and it's part of the foundation of our mission as Christians, right? It's part of our mission. Go reach the lost. Preach the gospel. That's kind of heavy here, so I want to make a good truth to you, but let's do it in a way we can just maybe relax here a little bit. How do we respond to what the Bible says when we don't like what it says or we struggle with what it says? Well, imagine this. Can you imagine an ant deciding that he didn't believe in steamrollers? I don't believe in steamrollers. I don't like that. I don't even want to think about steamrollers. Don't believe in them. And so that day when the road's being paved because he doesn't believe in steamrollers, he walks across at a very inopportune time. What's going to happen to that ant? It's going to be steamrolled, isn't he? Well, I want you to understand this. Truth is a steamroller. We either accept what truth is and go with it, or we will be run over by it. Are you with me on that? Truth will have its way. And there are no excuses. No excuses for unbelievers, because everyone who goes to hell will have a clear and settled awareness. I belong here. God is just. This is right. They will know that. They will not think at that point that God is somehow unjust to him, because when they see God, it will be perfectly clear to him that this is where I belong. And the torment will be not that they don't think they should be there, but because they see how they got there and wish they'd done something different. That'll be the torment. I rebelled against all the good revelation God provided me. I knew I was doing things that were wrong, even though I rationalized away a lot of them. I demanded to be the Lord of my own life. I refused to surrender myself to God. I did keep God around on my terms, not his. Or maybe I said he didn't exist or I didn't know the existence so I could justify my way of life. You see, there are no innocent people. They all have chosen to go their own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own ways. People do not go to hell because they haven't trusted Jesus. Wait, wait, wait. Did you hear that right? People do not go to hell because they have not trusted Jesus. They go to hell because of their rebellion against God. Their rebellion to the revelation God has provided for them somewhere, somehow. That's why they go to hell. People do not go to hell because they haven't heard the gospel. They go to hell because they have rebelled against God. The gospel is an undeserved opportunity to escape the condemnation that we rightly deserve. It's like a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. Every day he's gracious to us, another chance. So people do not go to hell because they haven't trusted Jesus, though trusting Jesus will rescue them from hell. People do not go to hell because they haven't heard about Jesus, though hearing about Jesus will provide them with an opportunity to be saved. Do you understand what this means? Do you understand what all this means? 
It means for us who are believers, thus those of us who have been saved, it means that the problem of people being unsaved is on our shoulders. Because God has already done everything that needs to be done for people to be saved. The question is, have we? Have we done everything we can do to help people get saved to, as it says right on our logo, to provide them with a genuine opportunity to know Christ? Have we really done that? Just the fact that we exist in this world and show up in this building on Sundays doesn't mean that we've provided people with a genuine opportunity to be saved, to know Christ. It can be part of it. So when the people you know and come into contact with end up in hell and you were not faithful to witness to them, to share your faith with them, to seek to see them come to Christ, you won't be able to say truthfully, I didn't know. You do know. You do know. And you say, well, I, I don't want hell to be my motivation for witnessing anymore, you know. I, I don't want to try to scare people by telling them about hell. Well, listen, I'm in a, certainly in agreement with you that you ought not to walk up people on the street and say, you're going to hell. But that doesn't mean you don't tell people about hell. You need to be ready to tell people about hell. It's part of the gospel, folks. Otherwise, what are you being saved from? I mean, think about this. If you saw a house on fire, it's on fire, and you know there's people still in there, and you say, well, I don't want to scare them. So you knock on the door and you say, hey, listen, Tell you what, we're having a really good time over at my house. Why don't you come? I'm busy watching the game. I'm all set. I'm not interested. Oh, well, you know, you don't understand. Maybe you had to break a window to get in. And the guy's saying, well, why do I want to leave my house, especially through the window? I mean, is, is this how you talk? You know, come, we're going to have a good time. Now, what do you do? You say, uh, listen, your house is on fire. You need to know this. Your house is on fire and you need to get out. I don't believe you. Okay, smell of smoke. <laughs> listen, can you hear it crackling? In fact, come look out the window with me. Your house is on fire. You need to get out. And I, I'm here to help you. Let me help you. I'll help you get out, get you and your family out. I want to help you. Isn't that what we would do? I mean, it's time, I think, for us to stop. Not that we do it all the time, but it's time to stop making excuses, right? It's time to do whatever it takes to provide the people in our lives and in our communities and in our world with a genuine opportunity to know Christ. And we must share the truth with them for that to happen. Now, if you're still on your way to hell today because you haven't, trusted Christ as Savior, or, or you think you might be on your way to hell, good news, right? Folks, do we have good news? Very good news. The solution is for you to humble yourself before God. Acknowledge, I have sinned before you. I know my sins have separated me from you. I know if I die in this condition, I'm going to hell. I'm going to, instead of that, I'm going to trust what you did for me on the cross. You paid the penalty for my sins and rose again from the dead. I'm trusting Jesus as my Savior. Once and for all, humbling myself before him and acknowledging my need. Save me. That's all you got to do, folks. It doesn't have to be those words and right now out loud, but in your heart before God.
Let's just bow our heads here for a moment, if you would, please. It may be that you're here today and you've never settled that issue once and for all about trusting Christ as Savior. And you're either certain that your destination is hell or you're afraid that it might be because you aren't sure about where things are at. Right now, I want to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus as Savior and have all of your sins forgiven, receive eternal life, and your destination will never be hell. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and, and I just encourage you from your heart to pray along something like this to God. It doesn't have the exact same words, but I want you to connect with God in your heart and mind. He knows what you're thinking, what you're feeling. So silently now, but sincerely to God, say something like this. Say, God, I am a sinner. I know that my sins have separated me from you. And I know if I die in this condition that I will go to hell. I don't want that, Father. I believe that Jesus did die for my sins. I believe he did rise from the dead and that he is Lord. Right now I I turn away from my own ways of trying to fix this and I turn to you, God. I place my faith in what Jesus did for me. I place my faith in Jesus to save me. To forgive my sins. And to give me eternal life. Let's keep our heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. I'm going to ask you here in just a moment, if you prayed with me that prayer and you were sincere about it before God, I'm going to ask you to, with nobody looking around except for me, to raise your hand and indicate that to me. as a testimony that you've trusted Christ as Savior. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer with me now, would you just raise your hand? Yes, hands all over. I see it. Yes, thank you. You can put them down. Thank you. All right, everybody look up. Here's the testimony. Here's the good news. Those of you and folks, about five of our people who are here today raised their hands. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) Those of you who did, the, the truth is that every sin is now forgiven. You have eternal life. You will not face hell. When this life is over, you go to be with the Lord. And then he is moved in, has taken up residence, and he wants to, and not wants to, he's going to begin working on you from the inside out to make some changes. Uh, But you need to let us help you with that. And so if you prayed like that today, what I ask is that you would talk to me or someone you know here and let us know that you prayed. Use as a card, a response card in the pew there that you can fill out and turn in. There's also a card there that says, what next? You see that in the pew there? What next? Please, let's, I want you to move forward on this. Now, can you see what you need to do? I don't need to go over the list, do I? How do you need to respond, Christians? Right, there's things we need to do, aren't they? You may be here today and say, man, I'm just so scared, I can't even be a witness. I don't know how to be, you have things in your life that are just so overwhelming. That's okay, let us help you with that. Jesus can set you free from those things and you'll be able to share. But we gotta reach people. And here's what I've noticed. 
I've noticed that when the gospel gets shared, people get saved. Did you notice that today? Again today. I've noticed that when people get saved, more people get saved because they know people who need to get saved. I've noticed that when people invite unsaved people to church, many of them actually come to church. And when unsaved people come to church and hear the gospel, many of them get saved. If we take our responsibility seriously, it will only be a matter of time to where someone is getting saved every week. Not necessarily in a service, but somewhere. And that will open the door to many more people getting saved, and it's not outside the realm of possibility where we eventually experience what Acts says, and the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. But we've got to take our responsibility seriously, folks. Hell is real. It is horrible. Don't get over it. Never get over that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the miraculous working of the gospel and people trusting your son as savior. Lord, do implant this truth about, these truths about hell and that along with the motivation of needing to obey you and wanting to glorify you and the good news, Lord, we also would be motivated by the fact that people are headed to something terrible and we have what they need to be saved. I pray this in Jesus' name.